Hello, and welcome to Slush, a publishing podcast. I'm your host, Eric Harden, and on this week's episode, I'll be taking you through the many steps that go into creating a physical book. I'm not going to say too much up top because I really want to dive into the specific steps that go into book creation. But before I do that, I do want to give you a few disclaimers, caveats about this episode because I don't want you getting the wrong impression about the work that goes into books. So first of all, the type of book that I will be talking about is specifically a one-color prose novel. So one-color meaning, for those that don't know, a book that only prints with black ink. So this is like your standard novel, nonfiction books often are one-color, middle-grade novels, YA novels, adult novels, across the age spectrum, a lot of them are black and white one-color novels. And so the steps that I'll be talking about to produce those books do not necessarily reflect the steps required to produce a picture book or a graphic novel or other four-color books or other types of books in general. Those books, although they will most likely have similar steps, and we'll talk about that as we're going through probably, they will not have the same process. I also wanted to say that this is not a comprehensive list of the steps that go into publishing a book. I'm hoping that this episode will give you a better understanding of the scope of work that goes into creating a physical book, but That said, the publishing process will always differ publisher to publisher, and also each book has the potential to run into unique problems that might alter these steps. There's so many issues with so many different people working on a book that could go wrong at any time, and so while this process is kind of the general ideal of how the process runs, wrenches get thrown in all the time, so each book is in some ways its own unique thing. This is more of a general overview of the steps that it takes to create a a one-color book, and it's pretty accurate to how most books are produced, but just have that disclaimer in mind. I'm also specifically in this episode talking about the work that goes into creating the book as a physical item. I'm not going to be covering the work that goes into creating digital versions of the book, like ebooks and audiobooks. And I'm also not going to be talking about the work that goes into selling the book, marketing, publicity, sales, and subrights, for example, because I just don't know enough about the work that goes into those different things, and I don't feel comfortable speaking on it at this point. I have personally helped create several books thus far in my career, and so I do feel comfortable talking about the physical creation of a book. But don't worry, in future episodes of the podcast, we will be looking into all of the work that goes into those other types of books and the selling of the books themselves. So this is not the end-all be-all of the work that goes into a book. I just wanted to really dive into the creation of the physical book itself. And then finally, last caveat, sorry for all the caveats, but the work that goes into creating a book isn't sequential. So I'm going to go through this kind of step-by-step, but it's really not a step-by-step process in the least. Certain steps in the process do have to happen in a certain order, sure, but there are so many different teams working at a publisher on different aspects of the book simultaneously, so it's really not possible to say like, oh, this happens, and then this happens, and then this happens always. We are all, as a team, collectively working on the book at the same time, so there's a lot of concurrent work happening for each book at any given time. So it's just not possible to give you like a a neat, tidy, sequential look at all the work that goes into a book because it's all happening all at the same time. It'd basically be more like a mind map than like a process map, if that makes any sense. So (laughs) yeah, this is not representative of all the work. It's just the work that the production team does to make the book an actual item. With all of that said, apologies for... All of those disclaimers at the top, but I did just want to make sure that you're clear that this is a sliver of the work that goes into publishing a book. So we're going to start with talking about how a book is made, the interior first. So the very first step is that an editor acquires a manuscript from an author. And if you've listened to other episodes, especially the most recent one with Fu Yinzi talking about publishing jargon, we'd get into how an editor acquires a book through the acquisitions meeting, how authors send queries to agents, and then agents submit books to editors, and then editors acquire them, etc. So I'm not going to go too much into that. 
In fact, I'm not going to go into it at all because I'm going to move to the next step, which is that the, after the author acquires the manuscript, then they start working with the author on developmental edits. This usually takes several passes, and depending on the book and the editor's vision for the book and the author's willingness to change things in the book, there could be small changes, there could be monumental shifts in the story, the narrative, the setting, the characters. I mean, who knows? The sky's the limit, depending on the discussion that they had pre-acquisition and post-acquisition about how the book would need to change for publication. But once the author and the editor are good with all the developmental edits that they've made, then the editor will get an authenticity read for the manuscript as needed based on the book's content and characters. So for those that don't know, an authenticity read is a fairly new process for publishing, and I think it's a really wonderful addition to the process, where editors will identify different audiences that might be affected by a book's content or characters or storyline, and has a person who represents that community read the book and point out any issues that they might see authenticity-wise, sensitivity-wise. So for instance, if a book is about a Latinx character living in Brooklyn, then like the editor will most likely find its sensitivity reader or an authenticity reader who is a Latinx person who lives in Brooklyn so that they can talk about the nuances of that experience and hopefully help the author make the representation in their book more authentic and more real and also prevent any potential issues with that representation. Authenticity reads this step of the process mostly happens in children's books and children's publishing. I'm not sure how much it happens in adult publishing, but I do believe that there's been a concerted push in the, the adult publishing world as a whole to adopt authenticity reads. I don't know how successful that push has been, but I hope it gains traction if it hasn't already because I think authenticity reads only help a book, especially when you have big books with serious issues with misrepresenting communities of color, for instance, or getting things wrong. All of these issues could have potentially been avoided if the editor had gotten the correct authenticity reads for the book in advance of the publication. I do want to say, though, that authenticity reads are not a fix-all for everything. Like, if the book itself is fundamentally racist, homophobic, etc., a single authenticity read is not going to save the book. But for a well-intentioned book that's doing the best it can, I think an authenticity read can be a really useful thing to help make it even better for its readers. So after the editor gets the authenticity reads, then they do line edits with the author. And line edits are kind of the more specific to-the-line changes of the story. It's not the large scale stuff that's happening. It's, you know, specific wording of sentences and that kind of thing. And I do want to say the two steps, authenticity reader and then line edits are kind of interchangeable. I don't know if there's like a standard which one comes first, but yeah. So the editor goes through line edits with the author. And once they've ironed out all of the things that they wanted to fix, then the editor submits the manuscript for copy editing. So then the manuscript comes to the production editor for the title. So I am a production editor on certain titles. So this would be the role that I play in my company. So I, as the production editor, prepare the manuscript for copy editing. And then I hire a copy editor to copy edit the manuscript. It generally takes about two to three weeks, depending on the length of the text and how intricate the text is. If it's, you know, let's say it's a nonfiction book with a ton of references and stuff, that's going to take longer and also be more expensive to pay for as the publisher than, you know, like a standard chapter book would be. It'll be longer, it'll be more involved, and so it'll cost more. So once the manuscript goes to copy editing, it's, it gets copy edited by the copy editor. Once the 
book is back from the copy editor, then the production editor reviews the copy edits before passing them to the editor. The editor reviews the copy edits with the author. They go through and take a look at all the suggestions and the changes that the copy editor has made. They stet some of them, which means saying, leave it alone. They make some changes. They also make their own changes as they notice things when they're reading through the book again. So it's not just the copy editor's changes, but sometimes it's also the author's changes or the editor's changes that they've just noticed in this next review of the book. So then once they're done reviewing the copy edits, they pass the manuscript back to the production editor who passes that on to the designer. And so the designer for the book has kind of two options depending on the way that their house functions. So some designers design the entire interior of the book in-house by themselves. So they lay out all the text themselves and like adjust what it looks like, change the font, change the size, change the letting, change all of these details about the font and the layout of the book to make it the book that they want it to be in their mind's eye. Or... I think this is is more common at larger publishers, especially in the big five, but a a good number of designers um, will create sample pages, which is essentially a sample of what the pages would look like if they were fully laid out and and designed that then gets sent to a typesetter outside of the company. And so the typesetter lays out the entire book themselves based on that design so that the designer doesn't have to do all of that work because it's a it's a huge task to lay out an entire book like that. Oftentimes, in order to save time and honestly to save money, larger publishers will send out their books to be typeset outside of the company. So depending on how that works in the company that you're thinking about or you know, whatever company is publishing this hypothetical book we're talking about, it'll either be done in-house or via sample pages. So if it's done via sample pages, then the sample pages would route to the production editor, the editor, the production manager, and they would all need to approve of the sample pages. There might be a couple rounds of sample pages to make changes to things. And then once they're approved, the sample pages get sent to the typesetter by the production manager. And then assuming that everything goes well, then the production manager, after a few weeks, will send the first pass of the book to the production editor as soon as it's available. If the designer set the interior in-house, then they would just route it like they would route anything that they're designing. So it would go to production editorial, then it would go to editorial, then to production managers, etc. Um, so it essentially route the same way that FirstPass does, which is what we'll get into now. You just basically skip that sample pages step for books set in-house. So then once the production manager sends the first pass of the interior to the production editor, the production editor hires and sends out the interior first pass to a freelancer for proofreading. And so just in case you haven't listened to any episodes, the difference between copy editing and proofreading, just a very quick summation. Copy editing is a much more in-depth edit of a text. So they're looking at grammar, spelling, story consistency, character names, place names, and all of this stuff to make sure that the book is consistent, it's clear, it isn't making mistakes all over the place. The copy edit is the main polish that a book goes through in the production process. Proofreading happens after a book has been typeset, and it's really just to catch the smaller mistakes that might have gotten missed in copy editing. So we're not changing large passages. We're not really changing the structure of a sentence, for instance, unless it's egregiously needed. Mostly what we're doing in proofreading is checking for a missed spelling error or something that was ooh, a little off grammar-wise that didn't get caught in copy editing. We're also looking for loose or tight lines. We're looking for bad breaks on the margin of a page. So like a word will be split at the wrong spot going from one line to the next. And so we want that fixed so that it flows correctly and that it reads better to the eye. So those are the kind of small things that we're looking at when we're doing a proofread. Again, this is not a large scale correction of the book. Um, So once the proofreader is done, again, it generally takes two to three weeks for a proofread to happen, depending again on the length of the book, how complicated the interior is, all of that stuff. 
So then once the interior comes back from proofreading, the production editor will then route it to all of the team members that need to look at it. So first it'll go to editorial, who will review it with the author. Then it'll get passed to design, who reviews first pass. Then it gets passed back to the production editor. The production editor reviews it. Then it gets passed to the production manager. The production manager reviews it. And so once everyone has reviewed it, then the production manager takes that marked up first pass, sends it back to the typesetter. The typesetter makes all those changes. And then a second pass is created that incorporates all of those changes, which is then sent to the production editor. And so basically, we continue this process a couple times, usually at least three or four times, depending on, again, the intricacy of the book. So the first two passes usually get an outside proofread from like a professional proofreader. And then any pass after that, usually, unless, again, this is dependent on the individual publisher that you're talking about. But after the first two passes from an actual freelance proofreader, the responsibility is on the production editor, the editor, the designer, basically the team working on the book in-house to catch any further mistakes. But hopefully, because you've had two excellent proofreaders look at this, and you've also had a phenomenal copy editor look at the book, hopefully you won't really need to catch anything else. But you know, everyone's human, so there's a chance that there will still be issues. You continue reviewing passes, and then after all of the corrections have been made to the interior, and everyone has signed off on everything in the interior, then the production manager will request a final PDF that finally gets routed to the production editor. And this is the last look at everything before it goes out to the printer and is ready to print. So mostly you're just scanning it at this point because you've looked at it so closely so many times. So there really shouldn't be any issues at the final PDF stage. But you do still give it a look over just to make sure. And then once everything is approved, the production manager sends it off to the printer to be printed. So that is a very brief, but I hope enlightening look at the work that goes into publishing an interior of a book. And again, I could go further into depth on the production side of what goes into creating the actual physical object, but I just don't know a ton personally about that process. I know a little bit more about what goes into making the cover, which I will get into next. I don't know a ton really after the final step of sending the final PDF to the printer. I don't really know what goes into the production side of things. I know they have to choose the weight of the paper and they have to confirm the spine width. They have to make sure the specs are all correct. All of that information needs to be checked out and confirmed. But other than that, I really don't personally know what goes on on the production side. So that'll have to be discussed in further episodes. But now moving to the cover creation... So going all the way back to when we were working with the manuscript, even before it went to copy editing, the editor will share the manuscript with the designer for the book very early in the process. And ideally, if the designer is able to, the designer will read the book or at least a significant chunk of it so that they can begin to brainstorm ideas about the cover design with the editor. However, most of the time, especially at larger publishers that have a large volume of books that they publish, a lot of the time, designers really aren't able to read all the books they work on. Certainly not the whole book, maybe like 50 pages of it if they're lucky. But most designers, at least in my experience, are extremely overworked. And so they're dealing with, I can't even estimate how many books they're working on at any given time, but they're working on books from multiple seasons at a time. And so unless they gave up their social life and like stopped eating food, they probably are not physically able to read all of the books that they're working on. So sometimes you have a designer working on a book that they haven't read, which is why it's so important that they're working in collaboration with the editor so that the editor can help them come up with the idea for the cover design that matches the story, matches the theme, matches the vibe of the book. 
So the designer, once they have that brainstorming session with the editor, then they start creating sketches for the cover. And then once they have a couple sketches that they like, that the editor likes, that the author likes, they'll take these sketches to an art meeting, which is a large meeting held at, I think, most publishers, where several different teams, including editorial, marketing, publicity, sales, the publishing teams, etc., will come together, look at these sketches, and weigh in and decide on the cover direction that they prefer. So for instance, they might like the central character on one cover, but they might like the font choice on another cover. So maybe they'll ask if they can like combine the two, or maybe they don't like any of the sketches and they want to see a different direction. The good thing about only bringing sketches to this meeting at this stage is that the designer hasn't sunk so much time and energy into a design yet. So it's better to get this kind of feedback early on in the process because, like I said, the teams involved can just completely 180 the design that the designer had in mind. So it's better to start early getting the feedback because at the end of the day, this book is a product that needs to be sold. And so it's very important to get the perspective of sales and marketing and publicity because they know what's hot in the market. They know what is going to sell well in the industry and the marketplace as a whole. So once the art meeting is over and the designer has an approved cover sketch direction, then they start creating the cover itself based on the approved sketch. So depending on the type of the design that the jacket's going to have, the designer might create the cover image themselves. They might use pre-existing images like stock photos with the proper license. They might hire an artist to create art for the cover. There's many different ways that they could create the cover for the book. They could use a pre-made font. They could hand write a font. There's so many. I mean, obviously, it's an artistic expression. So of course, there's infinitely many ways that a designer can create the cover image for a book. So once they do that, then they bring a final version of the cover to art meeting again, where the same group of people review it and hopefully approve of the final cover. And then once that's done, hopefully it's approved and nobody has made any other changes to it. Then the designer will finalize the cover and then they will start routing first pass of the cover for the team internally to start reviewing it. While all of this design creation for the cover is happening, in the background you also have the editor working on copy for the book. So basically any copy that you see for a book was most likely written by the editorial team working on the book. So the editor will pass any necessary jacket materials, any galley-related copy needed to the production editor, who will copy edit that copy themselves so that it's, you know, spelled correctly, all the grammar is good, it's consistent with the changes made to the interior. So like if a character's name changed during copy editing, you want to make sure that that's the same name used on the jacket copy, etc. If there's any quotes from the interior of the book, you want to make sure that it's actually quoting it correctly, those kinds of things. So then once the production editor has copy edited the copy, it goes to design. And once they have their final design together, they can put it all together, create a gorgeous first pass of what the jacket might look like, assuming not too many changes in the forthcoming passes. And then they route the first pass of the jacket and also the spine die. Uh, and the spine die is when you take, so go with me, if you will, on a little journey into your mind's eye to look at the inside cover of a hardcover book looks like. So take off the dust jacket from the book and you have usually a solid color or maybe a mostly solid color with a little band on the spine of a different color of a thicker, sturdier paper material folded over a hard cardboard cover. That is the hardcover itself that the pages are bound in. And so most of the time, hardcover books, if they're just standard hardcover books with a jacket, they're not getting any design on the actual cover itself. The only part of that cover that's designed is the spine. And that is created with the spine die, which is a way for the printer to get the title and the author and the 
imprint information on the spine of the book, either by printing it or I believe most times it's embossed or debossed or I don't know, something happens there. (laughs) Again, I don't know a ton about the actual physical creation of the book, which we will cover in later episodes. But anyway, so the designer routes the first pass of the jacket in the spine die. It goes to the production editor. They check it for spelling, grammar, accuracy of information, etc. Basically, they're doing a proofread of it after they had already done their first copy edit just to make sure everything looks good. Then it goes to the editor for general editorial review and then also it goes to the author to make sure that the author loves the jacket and thinks all the copy looks good. Then it goes to the production manager who checks it for correct specs. So is it the correct size? Is the width of the spine correct based on the weight of the paper that's being used? Is it the correct price? Will the price actually get us money? All of those things are being considered by the production manager. And so once that's all reviewed, it comes back to the PE. The PE gives it one final review and then passes it back to design. And then based on what changes were made in first pass, the designer will route second pass, third pass, fourth pass, however many passes it takes to get the cover in the best shape that it can be. Once all of those passes have been approved and everything's good to go, then the PM, the production manager, will send files to the printer. And then after a couple of weeks, after the printer does its thing, the production manager will receive soft proofs from the printer. And this whole process is kind of different pre-pandemic versus post-pandemic because pre-pandemic, and I only know of this from hearsay because I was not working in the industry long enough to have worked on physical proofs and pages and stuff, unfortunately. So... From what I understand, back in the day, they used to route most of the things that I've been talking about, all the different passes they've been routing. Most of those were routed physically on paper. So they would messenger a manuscript to certain copy editors to have them like copy edit it by hand. That used to be a thing in the very near past. Now, I think across the industry, if not the entire industry, mostly we're doing digital routing of passes now. Very little gets actually printed on paper until the actual book itself is obviously printed on paper which I think ultimately is better because, you know, killing a lot less trees this way. But there is something to getting to hold the physical pages in your hand and review them that way. So I do kind of mourn that loss that I never really got to experience that. That said, the trees are more important, you know. So anyway, the production manager will get soft proofs from the printer. And soft proofs are essentially what the book will look like hypothetically once it's printed. So it's essentially the file that the printer will actually be using to print the book on its printers. And so we only do soft proofs for things really with color. There's really no need to do soft proofs on the interior because it's just going to be printing black and white. So there's really no issue with color. Mostly we do soft proofs for things that have color in them so that we can actually confirm that the color is printing correctly. So that's why soft proofs are done for jackets. They're also done for any four color book that you're working on. So like a picture book, a graphic novel that has color, a cookbook, a reference book that has color, anything with color essentially will get soft proofs. And those get routed much the same way that all of the other passes have been routed. They go to the production editor, then they go to the editor who reviews them with the author, then they go to the designer, then they go to the production manager, etc. But also as part of this, the production manager and certain parts of the team, usually the editor and the designer, will also get hard proofs, which are printed on actual paper. And that's so that the important people that need to see the physical book, like what it's going to look like physically printed, can actually review it and confirm that it looks good. So obviously the editor needs it so that they can share it with the author because the author needs to have approval on that stuff. They also need to share it with the designer because the designer needs to make sure that the color is true to what they designed. And then also the production manager obviously gets a physical physical hard proof because they need to make sure that it's printing correctly. So once all of those different groups of people confirm that the hard proofs look good and all the color is good and all of that, then the soft proofs and the hard proofs are approved by all necessary teams. 
The printer then sends the e-plotters to the production manager. And e-plotters, also known as blues, are like the final pass of the cover from the printer. That's like the very end-all be-all. This is the last chance to take a look at this before it goes to print. And from what I understand, they used to be called blues because they were printed on blue paper. I don't know why that's the case. I don't know, but they're called e-plotters now because mostly they're digital. But they used to be physical and they were called blues. Um, but essentially, the team reviews e-plotters, confirms that everything looks good with one last pass, and then once everything's approved, the PE sends the e-plotters back to the production manager who gives the printer final approval to start printing the book. And then, the last step in the process, the book starts printing. Um, again, I've said it like 12 times, but I'm not going to go into more detail about it because I just don't know the detail, which is, again, a huge reason why I want this podcast to exist so that I can also learn these things because I would love to be able to explain to someone how a book prints, but I just don't know. I don't have that information living in my brain as of yet, but soon, hopefully, with this podcast. Thank you for coming on this journey with me. This is kind of all of the work that goes into creating the physical product of a one-color novel from manuscript to books printing. Just to give you some context, this process takes generally around a year, depending on the book. So the editor might have three to six months maybe with the manuscript working with the author to do developmental edits, line edits, and the authenticity read. That could be even longer depending on the book. It really varies. And then once the book comes to the production team, it usually takes around five, six months, if not longer, depending again on the book, to get the book copy edited, to get it proofread, to get all of the passes reviewed by all of the different teams, to make sure the color looks good, to get all the proofs approved. All of that work takes around six months to do. And so overall, a book generally at least takes about a year to produce. Some books come out much quicker, but the quicker the book comes out, generally speaking, the less quality the book is, if we're being honest, because you don't have as much time to really put in the effort to make sure that the book is grammatically correct and that there are no typos and that the formatting is good and all of the page numbers are consistent and like all of that like detailed stuff that is not necessary to the book being published, but is necessary to make a great quality book. Um, so yeah, it is a very long, arduous process to create a physical book. And then again, I just have to stress that this is is just a sliver of the work that goes into getting a book on a shelf and selling it to you. The physical object of the book obviously is paramount to selling a book, unless of course you're selling a digital version of the book, then creating the physical book is irrelevant. But for the most part, people buying books, I don't know the statistics here, but I think a good number of people buying books are buying them physically. And so it's vital to have a physical product for them to buy. But I cannot stress enough the importance of the marketing team, the publicity team, the subsidiary rights team, the sales team, all of these different groups, the supply chain team who makes it possible for the books to get where they need to go. I mean, there's so many teams involved in the publication of a book from actually creating the physical book to getting it into the hands of readers. And so this episode is truly just a sliver of the, the overall breadth of work that goes into publishing a book. And I just want to make it clear to all of you listening that the year-long process process that this is, is nothing compared to all the other work that's happening simultaneously and before and after this process. But yeah, that is this episode. I hope you have a better understanding of the many different steps that go into creating a physical book. I have kind of a tentative plan in the distant future to do a kind of redux of this episode where I take you through like all of the steps, including, you know, the work that marketing does, the work that publicity does, the work that sales does, the work that subsidiary rights does. I'm kind of thinking that might be a cool episode to do once I actually know how all of those departments work together, once I have a deeper understanding of all of that work. So if that interests you, please let me know. I think it would be a really interesting episode or maybe a couple part episode because again, I, I really went through a lot of these steps super quickly. It's 
months and months and months of work for just these steps alone, let alone, again, all of the work that other departments are doing. So it might need to be like a two or three part episode covering all of that work. Who knows? But if that sounds interesting to you, please do let me know. I would be happy to keep that on my radar for a future episode. And with that said, thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you have a wonderful day. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Slush. Please visit slushpod.com where you'll find episode transcripts, free resources, and forms to submit questions and feedback. You can also follow Slush on Twitter at slushpod, and if you are so inclined, please rate and review the podcast. Slush is hosted and produced by Eric Harden. Slush's logo was designed by Shelby Pack, and its theme music comes from the song Good Luck Charm by Olive Music. Any views expressed on the podcast are personal and do not reflect the opinions or interests of the hosts or guests' employers. Thank you again for listening. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day.